Well, Merry Christmas. It is good to see everyone here in worship on this first Sunday of Christmas. And I greet those not only here in the pews, but also those who are joining us online as well. Throughout Advent and on Christmas Eve, we have rehearsed the traditional stories of Christmas in the Gospels of Matthew as well as of Luke. And today's scripture lesson looks at the shepherd's role in Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 15. As you're able, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of the gospel. When the angels had left the shepherds and gone into heaven, they said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. And let us pray together. Almighty God, let now the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. With sincere apologies to Clement Moore, I'm going to share with you today my one and only attempt at poetry. And it's entitled, "'Twas the Day After Christmas." <clears throat> "'Twas the day after Christmas, and all were asleep. The 25th had left us all tired and beat. The stockings were slung carelessly on the floor, stripped of their contents and of interest no more. The children were exhausted, collapsed in their beds, with visions of sleeping in fixed in their heads. And Mama in her flannel and me with my mate were in hopes that we too would get to sleep late." When out in the front there arose such a racket, I sprang from my bed like a frightened jackrabbit. I stubbed my big toe on the way to the door and set off the alarm system on the first floor. The early sun's light shone bright on the toys left in the front yard yesterday by my boys. Then I saw a car splashing right through the muck, a red, white, and blue delivery truck. My head was aching, my stomach felt ill as the postman delivered a handful of bills. The charges were listed in dollars and cents. Payment would empty the United States mints. Now Visa, now Pennies, now Macy's and Riches, on Walmart, on Kmart, on Abercrombie and Fitch's. November and December, we had a great ball. Come January, we owe something to all. I made my way through a maze of presents piled high, looked again at the bills and grave a great sigh. Turkey bones roosted on the dining room table. Yesterday we ate all we were able. I tried to turn on the new espresso maker, complete with a digital alarm clock waker. My family stumbled slowly down the stairs, as cordial as a den of hibernating bears. I bit down to pet our faithful dog, Carl, but he snapped at my fingers and let out a snarl. 
my wife dressed quite quickly, quickly and shouted to all, I'm going bargain hunting all day at the mall. The children slammed the door behind them as well, going to friends' homes for Christmas show and tell. And I collapsed in my brand new easy chair to see how my favorite football teams would fare. I held a glass of Alka-Seltzer firmly in my fist, regretting last night's snack I really should have missed. During halftime, I arose from the recliner. My team was ahead, and the world seemed much finer. Wading through the wrapping paper, piled knee-high, something on the mantelpiece caught my eye. Half hidden beneath discarded ribbons and bows, the manger scene had been placed weeks ago. Carefully clearing the bright paper away, I witnessed the reminder of that first Christmas day. The Christ child rested in a bed, simple and small, sent by God into the world to save us all. Nativity figures of that first silent night made it quite clear what we had lost sight. A happy Christmas to all is because of God's Son, and on the day after, our Christmas has only begun. The end. (laughs) It is December 26th. It is both the day and the Sunday after Christmas. The big day has come, and it has gone again, and December seemed to disappear just like that. Oh, many of our children still have a week of break left, and many of you are probably not going back to work until the new year. But we're already beginning to have that sense of returning to the ordinary and to the everyday. It's also intriguing to me as a pastor, 48 hours ago, we had six Christmas Eve services in the sanctuary and the Faith and Arts Center, thousands attended. And on December the 26th, we are gathered comfortably together in one combined service here in the sanctuary. And we greet this day with mixed feelings of both regret and of relief. But beyond those two emotions, there is a deeper truth that we are called to remember and to rediscover in our lives. Many greet the day after Christmas with a sense of regret because it's been such a special time. There have been so many extraordinary things that have occupied our days. We've spent time with family and with friends gathered around the Christmas tree, singing beloved carols, watching movies, playing board games. And now, it's back to ordinary time, which seems so plain, dreary, and dull. And there are many people who have the holiday blues following Christmas, and some almost experience this postpartum depression after the birth of the Christ child as they look towards January and February and those winter days that seem to stretch on forever. And we find a difficult time re-entering into ordinary time. I recall as a youth, I loved to watch uh, the NASA space flights. 
beginning with Mercury and Gemini and then on to Apollo. And at the end of the missions, there was always that critical moment when the spacecraft re-entered the atmosphere. And there was a very narrow path that the ship could follow, too shallow and it would skip off the atmosphere and back into space, too abrupt, too steep, and it would burn up in the friction of the air. And they had to hit that re-entry path and trajectory just right. And I think there's a real question, how do we re-enter ordinary time in the new year as God's people? So we do come today perhaps with a sense of regret, but we may also come with a sense of relief as well. We've enjoyed about as much Christmas cheer as we can stand. And the holidays are an exercise in excess. We do too much of too much. We do too much shopping, too much spending, too much travel, too much eating, too much partying, 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 go to a party, and too much time with family that we studiously avoid the rest of the year. And if I hear Elvis sing Blue Christmas one more time, I will run screaming into the woods. Extraordinary time gains its meaning from ordinary time. And a lot of us, including me, are looking forward to that return to the routine of the ordinary everyday of work and school and home and to be able to relax into our normal rhythm of life. Despite the relief or the regret, we're not quite done with Christmas today. As we enter in the sanctuary, it's still decorated with the greenery of the season. The white pyramids represent Christ. The candlelight reminds us of the four Sundays of Advent and then the lighting of the Christ candle on Christmas Eve. The chrismon tree still displays the symbols of our faith. And as Catherine shared a little bit earlier, Christmas is not just a day, it is a season in the church calendar, beginning December 25th, going through January the 6th, and we have begun those 12 days of Christmas, and thank goodness we're not singing that song today. But if the holidays have truly been holy days, then my prayer is that we have discovered something we can carry with us into the new year and that can carry us through the new year as well. Because we're not quite yet done with Christmas, and Christmas is not yet done with us. Because the message and mission of Christmas do not end on Christmas Day. They begin on Christmas Day. First of all, there's the message of Christmas. Let me ask a basic question. Have you heard the story of Christmas this year? And probably all of our first reaction is, well, yeah. How could you miss it? If you come to church at all, we've heard it read from the Bible. We've seen it in pageants. We've sung it in songs. We've acted it out in a variety of different ways. We have heard the message of Christmas. But did we really hear it in our minds and in our hearts and in our souls. A few weeks ago, I wrote a blog about travel to the Holy Land, 
And everybody has their, their favorite sites that they enjoy visiting. But probably my least favorite site to go to is the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem, which marks the traditional site of Jesus' birth. If you're taking a group there, you've got to go there. If people have never been, they want to visit the site where for over 1,700 years, pilgrims have gone, gone to venerate the Nativity. But the little town of Bethlehem is not a little town anymore. Its residents number about 25,000, but there are 2 million tourists every year. And you pull in on a diesel bus into a layered parking lot, parking next to other buses. You get out, and as God is my witness, you walk past a Kentucky Fried Chicken, out onto the road, and you go down to Manger Square where there are merchants on every side trying to sell you everything possibly imaginable that is made out of olive wood. And then you get to the Church of the Nativity, and I'm going to use a word we love in the South. It's just tacky. It is a strange mixture of the sacred and of the secular, and there's these gaudy ornaments that are hanging everywhere, and you're literally standing shoulder to shoulder with other people, pushing and shoving so you can go worship Jesus. And it's one of the least worshipful places that I've ever been to. And if there was a chorus of angels that appeared to sing the birth of the Messiah, it would be unheard amongst the din and the noise of the chaos and confusion of the town. And I think that may be an apt parable for our lives, that the chaos and confusion of our lives can drown out the angelic chorus. And I really wonder if the gospel writers would even recognize what we have done with the Christmas story. I've shared a couple of times in sermons out of the four Gospels, only two even bothered to mention, and that's Matthew and Luke, because everything in the Gospels is centered on the cross and the empty tomb. What took place at the nativity is seen through the lens of the crucifixion and the resurrection. And if you take Matthew's first two chapters and Luke's first two chapters and boil them down, here's the birth story. Matthew 1.25, she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. That's it. If you boil it down to Luke, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And those are the facts of the story. But we hear those facts through faith's interpretation. And when we recite the Apostles' Creed, the second major part of that affirmation of faith talks about Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the quick, the living, and the dead. The Savior of the world came into our world as a helpless infant, and as I read the stories and rehearse them over and again in my mind, I sometimes try to put myself in the place of Mary and of Joseph. They must have been totally bemused and confused by everything that happened, of angels dropping in as casually as next-door neighbors coming to borrow a cup of sugar, of dirty shepherds crowding into the room where the child had just been delivered, of the scene being illuminated by a natal star, of these strange visitors, the wise men who came much later to worship the Christ child. 
And it's intriguing in Luke's gospel to read about Mary's reaction to all these things. Luke writes, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. In my mind, I can see her sitting at, at the kitchen table flipping through Jesus' baby book, treasuring and pondering. Think about those two verbs, because I believe they're heavy with meaning. To treasure, to give weight to, to recognize the value of. And I'm not really sure when Mary, if Mary, fully comprehended all that had occurred and how she was an instrument of God's grace and salvation. Was it at the birth? Was it during Jesus' ministry? Was it at the cross? Was it at the empty tomb? Was it on Pentecost Sunday? Maybe it was years and years later when she was sitting down with perhaps Matthew and Luke and telling them the stories of how Jesus had been born. The other verb is pondered to turn over and over in your mind, to examine from a variety of different perspectives, to think about, meditate upon, to ponder. And what if we take the message of Christmas with us throughout the season and into the new year and treasure it and ponder it? Because if the nativity is more than just a fairy tale that is told once upon a time, it is a story of God invading our world and the cosmos and our lives can never, ever be the same again. So treasure it and ponder it at work, school, home, in traffic, in the hospital, in hospice in a funeral home, at graveside. What does it mean in our lives, and how does it change us now and forever? Treasure and ponder the Christmas message, which does not end but begin on Christmas Day, and also the Christmas mission. I oftentimes say that during the holidays, we are more of who we are. And that's both bad news and it's good news. But whatever our personality quirks and eccentricities are, we're more of that during the holidays. It brings out the best and worst in us. And it's one of the reasons that during December, charities receive their greatest amounts of funding during the year. Uh, you've heard me say before, there is a reason the Salvation Army kettles are out during December and not during July. I did see a cartoon this past week that shows this guy sitting on a boat in the middle of the ocean, and the caption read, Herman was really rethinking his choice to join the Salvation Navy. I'll let you think about that one for a moment. But what if we took that spirit of generosity as well as of gratitude and carried it throughout the year? that we were constantly looking for ways to reach out to others. If that spirit here at Northside that took those ornaments we had on the tree for Murphy Harp's children's home, and this congregation alone managed to make sure that that 
institution that ministers to the least and last and children that have gone through brutal situations we cannot even begin to imagine. We made sure they had a wonderful Christmas. What if we found a variety of different ways to serve every day and every week and every month? There is a wonderful poem that we're going to hear in music a little bit later in the service by Howard Thurman that is entitled, The Work of Christmas. And it says, when the songs of the angels are stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flock, the work of Christmas begins to find the lost to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoners, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among brothers, to make music in the heart. When Martin Luther, the Roman Catholic priest who began the Protestant Reformation, preached on this passage from Luke, he talked about the actions of the shepherds, how they heard and they went, and they saw, and they glorified, and they told others. But you know what the last thing is the shepherds did? They went back to their flocks. They resumed their ordinary lives, which is the exact same thing we're going to do. So if the mission of Christmas is going to get done, it's going to get done in the ordinary, everyday places where we find ourselves sent by God, ministering to others. I began the sermon by offering my sincere apologies to Clement Moore on my parody of his well-known poem. Moore wrote what I suppose is the best-known poem of the season, "'Twas the Night Before Christmas." We're all familiar with the words and the cadence, and even if we've never tried to memorize the entire thing, most of us could recite major portions of it just from having been exposed to it so often. And probably it you have read it during the season or maybe had the chance to share it with your children or with your grandchildren. But did you know the Reverend Clement Moore was an ordained Episcopal priest who taught at a seminary in New York City? In a poem that is one of the best known of the season, written by an ordained minister who was a Christian, there's not a single mention of Jesus. We dare not segregate the message and mission of Christmas to a day, a season, a place, or one part of our lives because God wants to capture and enrapture every part of who we are, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Half hidden, Beneath discarded ribbons and bows, the manger scene had been placed weeks ago. In carefully clearing the bright paper away, I witnessed the reminder of that first Christmas day. The Christ child rested in a bed simple and small, sent by God into the world to save us all. Nativity figures of that first silent night make it quite plain what had been lost to sight. A happy Christmas to all is because of God's Son, on the day after, Christmas has only begun. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. <laughs>